Shay Nadira, she's the empress who tells it like it is. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the royal empress. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. This is Akila, and joining me, as always, are my fellow co-hosts, Hakima and Lakeshe Nadia. Tonight, one of the topics that seems like something that we really want to touch on is um, a question about whether or not we believe that the black man is under siege in America. Are we hmm. seeing him being castrated? What, like what's really going on in in the country today as it pertains to our brothers? That is a, an excellent question, uh, Akila. Um, and I would say that I, is he under siege? Absolutely, he's under siege. He and he has been um, as long as I can remember. And you know. Um, this is an emotional topic because when I just think about just history, I guess, generally, generally speaking about the black man, there is not a time that I can recall, and I was born in the early 70s, where the black man has not been under siege from physical lynchings and castrations to mental and spiritual lynching and castrations. He has been under attack from the moment that people recognize who he was, and that is a original man of the planet Earth, a god of the universe. Anytime you have someone and you know their potential and you know their power, and I'm not speaking of just anyone, people who are jealous, a race of people who are jealous and do not like the idea that there is a man that's walking the planet who has been given power and dominion over the earth, and you don't like that. So therefore, your ultimate aim is to take him down off of his throne and take him all the way down to the ground so that you can feel comfortable with walking amongst or on the planet. And so when you think about Emmett Till, when you think about many way before him 
who were lynched physically in public view um, as a sport and play activity so that many could actually watch and therefore those who were watching were reminded of just exactly what they felt about the black man and to be reminded that you, if you had any thought in your mind that you wanted to rise up against such a thing, or if you had any thought in your mind that you wanted to be great, we're going to let you know at the door. We're going to let you know clearly that it's not happening. So is he under siege? He's absolutely under siege. Is he being castrated? Absolutely he is. Is he being lynched? Absolutely he is. And this is something that has continued like I said, I, I was born in the 70s, but I have parents and I have great-grandparents and I have grandparents who bore witness to the type of treatment that they saw in their day and time. And nothing really has changed except now it's a modern-day lynching. Now it's something that we see, but we become so desensitized to it that for most you know, it's almost like it's not even happening. So it is very painful. It is very hurtful because understanding the relationship that the black woman has to the black man, naturally my heart is going to ache for him because enough is enough. So to answer the question, that, as you started off so eloquently in asking such a, I won't say, yeah, beautiful, a beautiful question just because beauty in the sense that it's something that needs to be asked, it's something that um, we need to really think about, and it's something that we really need to consider and consider the time that we're living in and what must be done. You know, I'm just wondering, though, like how – do some of us see this happening? Like what what are what what things are happening now that still appears? Because we know about the, the lynchings that have gone on in this country. Um, you know, they have now I believe it's in Montgomery, Alabama, or I I, I don't wanna um misspeak, but um they have the lynching museum. Mhm, mhm. Yeah. I think it is Montgomery. Yeah. I think you are yeah. correct. They mm-hmm. have, you know, and some people had a problem with that, but it's like it's a reminder that this has gone on and that this has happened. And I think that there's like over four thousand names um, yeah. that have. And been. that's a that's not even a fraction, right. but yes. Okay. And I, you know, I was one when I heard about that museum. I was like, wow, you know, I don't I don't know how to feel about this. But as I really thought about it, well, yes, we need to be reminded the same way that Mamie Till decided that she wanted people to see her son in a casket with it being open so that they can see what was done to a human being. So we have to be reminded because History teaches us that in order for us to fully understand what has taken place, we need to know this is why, you know, the Jews will never allow you, allow me, allow us to forget because they want it in our face clear because they're never going to forget. And the same way that they do to their children and they make sure that their children have a well-rounded knowledge and understanding of their history, 
I believe that that museum is doing the same thing. Sometimes, well, not sometimes, it's painful, yes, indeed, but it's something that has taken place. It's facts. It's facts. And so the one thing about facts is that it is what it is. And we have to, I guess, um, figure out a way that we can, like the museum is doing, incorporate um, our past into the present so that we are able to have something that we will remember um, or use as a tool or a technique so that we can remember and so that we will never forget. So like I said, when I first heard about it, I was feeling like, oh, this is, this is just too much. Who wants to remember this? Who wants to actually devote a whole entire museum? And by doing so, you know, you're also just like, you know, as we're taught when we um, give thanks or we give praise or when we maybe even, you know, say a prayer, sometimes we may call out the names of those who have went before us. And so I see that as an opportunity to be able to honor, you know, our ancestors as well, those whose names we may not even know, those who we didn't even know existed um, because it's proof that it did happen because so often people are trying to get us to forget our history. It's okay for the Jews to tell us to remember or remind us of what happened to them in the past, but it usually it seems as if it's never okay when the black man and woman bring up the fact that we too have suffered, you know, even greater than you have. Then we're asked to forget it. Oh, well, that happened. That was back then. You know, you should just get over it. So. I think it is a good idea and, and the um you know, tool that they use which is the museum. I think that it's excellent, you know, for our um future generations to have something that they can use to see, you know, the history um and past of our people. Because as you were talking and we were talking about Emmett Till and just talking about um black men under siege and lynching and I think about how people say, Oh, that was in the past, that doesn't happen Oh, it's just this and that, and then I, and I kept thinking about this man who, in Texas, was dragged by three white supremacists mm-hmm. on a uh, on his pickup truck, mm-hmm. um, and his arm was severed, and and then, um, <laughs> you know, they they basically killed him, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, severing his his arm, his head, and then, you know, they dumped his torso somewhere. Um, and this was just 20 years ago. Right, right, right. And so, you know, it's and so when I hear people saying, oh, that was in the past, 20 years really isn't that long ago. Like, I, I don't even, I think, um, I have children that are even 20 years old. Um, you know, and so it's still, so, so that's not that long ago, and I'm pretty sure that there's some other um, that we can think of, including what we see on a regular basis on these videotapes with police officers just basically assassinating black men on video and then justifying it and then actually having other people to justify it. I was reading today on a friend's post, they had a a, some kind of town meeting. Um, They basically somebody um, white said at a meeting that, uh, what is his name? Philando Castillo. Mhm, mhm. That he was responsible. Mhm, mhm. 
And, um, you know, to have the mentality that, and, and we all watch that video live and saw everything that happened. And, 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 and then you can see that and actually justify it. And, um, and just, just trying to justify things just, you know, it just, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah. You know, as you were, um, reminding us of that situation, I did not watch the video and, um, but recently I watched a video and I don't even know the name of this brother who was murdered in cold blood and who was lynched in cold blood. Um, but it was a video that was sent to me um, by somebody who I respect. And I, prior to this, had not watched, I won't even say many, I would say most, many. I had not watched videos of brothers being shot by the police or killed because I couldn't. You know, my, my mind, my body, my spirit couldn't take it. So when I would hear about things, that's all it was. I heard about it. I didn't see it physically from my own, you know, with my own eyes. And this particular day, which was actually not long ago, this, this video was shared with me. And I broke down. I mean, I don't recall in my 45 years of being present on this earth that I ever responded in a way where I was so the pain that I that 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 came with the video that I I, I there really I don't even have words to describe it and the only thing I can um relate it to or to help me better describe it is to say that I was so traumatized and so all of the pain of every other black man who suffered at the hands of this wicked beast on this planet, I guess it was a culmination. It was like for every mother, for every daughter, for every sister, for every person, for every other black man, a father, pastor, minister who's cried and shed tears because of the pain of their loved one being snatched off of the earth. I cried those tears that day, and it was so such a cry. It's like it came from somewhere very deep. I mean, I yelled out, and I said, wow. And I then began to think, look at the trauma, you know, that most people don't even realize that they've experienced having to hear this on the news every week, having to see it, and it go into your subconscious mind that your husband, your brother, your friend, your neighbor, your loved one was just murdered, just lynched. And so we here in the hills of North America, black people in the hills of North America who witness these things, it's a wonder, and it's only by the grace of God that we are able to still function and exist and not have lost our damn minds. And so when I think about purposely castrating and lynching our men 
in public view. It is a reminder to us. They want us to know how much they hate us. So if we ever think about rising up, we'll know exactly what we have to come or we know exactly what's waiting for us. So it is a tactic that is used. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad spoke about taking or sticking the needle in the brain of a child, meaning that you get to them at an early age. You instill fear in them at an early age. You cut off their thinking so that they're not able to think for themselves at an early age because if you can get them at an early age, then you got them. You are able to control the rest of their life. And so when we're constantly bombarded with videos and and things of this nature showing this type of display, then what do we think that we're creating in our wounds mentally, spiritually, physically? Fear. And when you have a people who are afraid, then you have a people who are stunted. They cannot grow. So when I think about the pain that I experienced or the trauma that I realized that I was experiencing because of a video of my brother who I still don't know his name, then I'm reminded that this is what our people have to experience every single day. And it hurts. It hurts like hell. And it's the type of pain that only by the grace of God you can heal from, if you can heal at all. What saddens me is whenever there's a situation where we see our brothers being slaughtered, these fools want to record it. That bothers me more than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's steady helping your brother. You sitting there recording it like this is entertainment. I, I really don't, I, I can't fathom the thinking of that. Like this hmm. is a, a memorable event, something to celebrate. We should be trying to protect our brother. I've seen videos where there were situations where police were, I'm not going to say they were about to do anything, but the police outnumbered the individual. Okay, and there were cases where the community surrounded the police and the police got the hell up out of there. See, what we're dealing with is a predator-prey relationship, and we ought to pray. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in, in Navy SEAL training, they're taught to turn the, you turn the predator into a prey. He can't respond to that. It confuses him. Whenever you see black people stand up to them, they bow because they know I can't compete. Mm-hmm. Instead of when we're not fearful of them, there is no competition. There ain't nothing... There's no competition, but we when we fear them, we give them power. But when we stand up to say we're not going to take this no more in any given situation, they bowing down. It's just that simple. We have this mindset that they're greater than us, but really, right. that's the reason why they're triple ten us, five and six on one. Obviously, we're greater. We're like. We're like the Shaquille O'Neal or Charles Barkley in the NBA. You know, when they play, four or five defenders had to hack them, hit them in the head in order for them to to stop them. And that's how it is with us. One brother and you got four and five or five and six officers, white officers. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, uh, it's unacceptable. But yet a white man could be shooting at them with AR-15 and they try everything in their power not to even shoot back. And then take them for a Burger King. 
yeah, so it, yeah, right. Well, mm-hmm. they're, they're, well, I'm going to talk them down. No, now you want to talk. Now you want to tase. Now you want to use um, a less lethal approach. But yet, when it comes to the black man who just say, "What did I do wrong?" You 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 specifically go to a violent mm-hmm. approach because the whole objective is to kill us. That that's mm-hmm. the whole objective. And, yeah, I think about that. And that. I was just going to say, what did we do? What did I do wrong? Asking the question. I think sometimes the mentality is, don't talk back to me. How dare you ask me a question? That whole mindset of stay in your place, boy. And it's like, how many years have you heard that? You know, with with coming from people, are you don't sass me? So sometimes I feel like when I see that, that's that's those are the thoughts that come in my mind, is that you're, you're so used to the days of when you could say that to black people, when you can say, move, boy, or don't look me in my eyes, or don't, whatever. And those are the things that you're hearing from these police officers, and it's like nobody's really talking about the language that they are using mm-hmm. when they when they um, when they say that you are basically resisting or they feared for their life. So you feared for your life because I asked you a question. You feared for your life because I looked you in your eye like a man or woman uh, and asked you a question. Be- just because you say, why? How dare you? How dare you? How- I- I'm-, I'm so great and in this, in this authoritative role. How dare you? It's, it's like the whole <laughs> overseer. Mm-hmm. Mentality that seems to have not been lost on them, and it's not just about police brutality, but I think it is. I think it's a certain arrogance sometimes that people have in terms of of, of their position and their position of power that they've been put in, that they feel like they are, in essence, they are God, or they are judge, jury, and executioner in many mm-hmm. of those instances. And so, if you have that capacity to talk down someone who looks like you, who has a weapon, who really is a threat to you and the people around you. But you don't have that same mentality when it comes to talking to an unarmed man who happens to be, a, you know, a black man, a brown man. You You, you have a problem with that. So I just think sometimes some of that thinking, like we say that we carry things on from generations, mm-hmm. from the pain mm-hmm. and the hurt, I believe that they carry on things that have been instilled in them as well because it's not just us that have this generational mentality. Because it's, it's interesting because they tell you, oh, well, they can change, and you know, I don't want to get into the whole, oh, yes, there's some good people and all of this. Good and bad in every race. We 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 already know that. That that's a reality. However, <laughs> you know, it's we're still affected. How is it that somebody else could not be affected? Absolutely, and uh, you you hit it right there on the head when you say that. Yes, we have generational um, attachment and feelings of pain because of an experience or experience after experience, and they, too, have the same for they, their feelings of superiority and mistreatment and feeling a need to 
be in power and like you mentioned, how dare you talk back when those words were uttered uh, by Hakeem and then you repeated them. I mean, it was almost like uh, something went through my body because, again, <laughs> I was traumatized when I watched that video. And that's the words that my brother uttered. He said, what did I do? What did I do? He, he, he was sincerely asking, what did I do? What did I do wrong? And they said, tase him. And then the next thing you know, I just saw they shot him and blood is just going everywhere. And I, I, how many times have we seen our black men completely surrender and put their hands up in submission and ask a sincere question because they're backed up against the wall or backed up on the ground or on the car. And what it seems to me is that the more they submit to this beast, then he becomes empowered. It's like a switch turns on and it fuels him to now say, nigga, this is exactly what I wanted from you. Now I got you. Almost as if it gave him more power. The more you submit, the more power I have over you. So now I'm going to shoot. You ask me a question, what did you do wrong? Damn it, you black. You a nigga. I don't like you. You in power. Whatever the beef that they have with us, the envy, the jealousy for the melon in our damn skin. My brother asks a question and he loses his life. And for me, it was a trigger just hearing you all repeat that phrase, what did I do wrong? Because this is the question that continues to be asked by the black man in the hells of North America. And damn it, ain't nobody got a goddamn gone answer for it. Because what did he do wrong? He didn't do a damn thing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. He decided to walk while he was black. He decided to drink while he was black. He decided to drive in a damn car while he was black. He decided to get up out of his bed while being black. He decided to eat some goddamn Skittles while he was black. He decided to sell some loose squares while he was black. He decided to make a living for his damn family and sell CDs while being black. What did he do wrong? And then they continue to want to castrate, to make a damn example so that the next one will know to get in line because we coming next for you. And I apologize in advance for, you know, my emotion with this. But this touches my soul because I'm a black woman in the hells of North America who has a black husband in the hells of North America. And I have black sons here in the hells of North America, along with uncles and friends and family that are black. So are we under siege? Is the black man in America under siege? And not only in America, all over the planet Earth. In order to understand where we are, we have to understand our history, too. I mean, there were Virginia slave codes of 1705. 
and in those slave codes, there was persistent laws that you that the Europeans still go follow by. It, it's okay to kill a black man if if he's being unruly, if he's not if he's not staying in his place. It's okay to do that, and that's not considered a crime. So when these white men, white officers, or white men, or white women just say, "Oh, I fear for my life," which the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad said that the white man and woman has a natural fear of black man anyway. So they write when they say they have that they have they fear for their life they should have because that's in their nature to fear us. But in their slave codes, they justify killing us without even being found guilty of a crime. But mm. our people don't know that. Uh, one question we have to ask ourselves: Why? Why does God permissive will allow this? That's the question I ask. You know, yeah, we, we yeah. say, well, why, but why? Why does God allow this to happen? Because we keep submitting to this devil like he God. That's the problem. The problem is why are we submitting to him? Why are we, instead of fighting for our life, why are we submitting to that? Instead of us recording it, why are we not banding together and saying, we're killing this devil for attacking our people? We won't and do until that. We, we won't stand up. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, until we stand up, our hands up. Until Lazarus get a little oil on his bones and stand up, they will continue to shoot us. They will continue to kill us. They will continue to lynch us. We will continue to be under siege because the more we don't do nothing, damn it, the more we going to get something. This is why in the civil, during the civil rights movement, they were not successful per se, because you can turn your cheek and keep turning it until you black and blue, and they're going to keep pulling out holes, and they're going to keep beating you behind, and they're going to keep sicking, out do- sicking dogs on you, because it empowers them when you do nothing. It empowers them when they know that you are not going to respond. This is why there is an eye for an eye. Because that's the only damn language they understand. A beast and an animal only understands one language. We are at war. Period. And when you're at war, you don't go and run in the other direction. You stand. And you face what's ahead of you strategically. I think, though, and thinking about this is that I wonder sometimes if people really know how to be strategic. We're just in a time now where, first and foremost, I think that there's a psychological conditioning we already know because the only way that you made people able to even submit um, to even become enslaved or to even adhere to Jim Crow laws and all of those things um, is from conditioning and the outright slaughtering of people to to keep other people in line, and so that has a mental effect. And so, of course, the casting of fear can also be passed down from generation to generation to generation as well. And I think sometimes we feel like we exercise a certain level of uh, free speech and somebody is, you know, we get on our platforms and all of those things, but then, you know, you're still made an example of. We have a lot of 
distrust amongst each other because that's been fed into us to distrust one another. And, and, and that distrust, I think, impedes actual unity and that willingness to jump in. And then we're rewarded so often for foolishness. Mm. We're rewarded for foolishness. Even when you, when you think about the songs that get airplay, the, the entertainers that they pay lots and lots of money to basically instill foolishness in you. And somehow some of us think that we have arrived because we have material things and not really realizing that those material things come with an attachment, and that attachment is for you to be submissive. And right. so I just think that, you know, I just think that sometimes that's that's part of the problem, and we do. It's like when do you stand up? But some of us don't realize we need to stand up because they think they made it. Yeah, that that, that plays a big part in it, yeah, unfortunately. You think you made it. Oh, well, see, I live, I live here. I look mm-hmm. around and I look at my neighbors and everybody, none of them really look like me. Look at me, I've arrived. Mm-hmm. And so why should I stand up? And then so many of us, you know, we, 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 we grasp on to foolishness. Every every hot topic, everything that's worthy of gossip, everything that's worthy of slander, we're right there, and we're jumping in, and we're talking about it, and we're emotional, and we're all of these things, and they're just they're just throwing stuff out there to us. And so, what you do also by people videoing is because guess what? When a video goes viral, that person gets interviewed, they get their fifteen minutes of fame. That's part of the reason I think it's addictive to to video and for your video to go viral because somebody wants to talk to you for shooting that video. Some people get a high off of the number of shares, the number of likes, the number of mm-hmm. views, all of these different right. things. So it, it, it feeds into so much. And so it seems like what's happening to me as I look at us over the years that the tricks just get trickier. Mm-hmm. The tactics, there's different tactics that are used to 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 oppress and and suppress that natural instinct to rise because you're so right. busy with foolishness. If we still if we sitting up arguing over something so simple, they can see man because we're showing them on social media. So we're bickering over the the most minute things. We're bickering. <laughs> Over just, I mean, all sorts of stuff. You have some black women saying, you know, black men don't support us, so to hell with them, you know, let, let them die. And then those of us who are saying, well, no, these are, these are our fathers, these are our brothers, these are our sons, we have to support them. But there's a divide. And so when you have a divide and you have a visible divide, you give your enemy an opportunity to exploit that divide. And keep mm-hmm. you divided. And then when we put those tapes and, and videos, I'm saying tapes. I guess I'm giving my age. So I'm not <laughs> but when, but when, you, when you put those videos out, watching people die on camera desensitizes you. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize that we become desensitized. So you watching that for the first time because you've avoided it, you had that emotional uh, response. 
other people are not having that emotional response because they're watching it over and over and over and over again. I think I may have talked about this in, in one of our conversations before. I don't remember. But when I worked in the media, I remember my first time going on the scene where somebody was deceased. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. But as time progressed, right. seeing dead bodies no longer bothered me. Right. So that's the thing that we have to understand about watching the murder of black men on video repeatedly, subconscious, it feeds into you, your subconscious mind and it desensitizes you and, and, and it may even paralyze and cripple you. So all you can do is, is, is look on and not really feel anything. That's probably why people don't necessarily jump in. No, they cowards. That's why they don't jump well, in. That they know, I can't even get on. I'm not giving <laughs> black people no out. Because we're at a time where God is about to put a period at the end of his at the end of his essay. Ain't no more. Well, you know, black people, we've been we've been in slavery. We've been this. Because when 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 Allah sends you a servant, and He give you an apple amount of time to listen to this servant, and this servant been around teaching for forty years, or how many years the servant been teaching, and you don't listen to him, that's when God's judgment comes. When people don't want to listen. So people are doing the times of Pharaoh, and they ain't want to listen, and they ain't want to leave, and they ain't want to, they ain't want to leave. They got slaughtered. God is at that time. He, you either gonna listen to my servant, or you gonna stay with the enemy and die at the hands of the enemy. It's just what it is. With black people, we have every excuse on the planet on why we can't unite. We have every excuse on the planet on why we the way we are. We know why we are the way we are. We are. We have countless um, servants that's been raised up from among us giving us the answer, giving us the strategy on how to get out of our condition. But we don't want to listen to them. We're rebellious. What we want to do is we want to sit up and chase men and women. We want to drink all day. So we're the reason why God is going to put that period on us. It's just what it is. We ain't trying to listen. You know, instead of, you know, instead of us, ha like we're having this conversation right now, how many black, black people right now are really having this conversation? I guarantee you majority of them talking about what they're going to drink tonight if they ain't already drunk, or what woman or man they going to sleep with tonight, the next night, and this weekend. That's all black people is dealing with right now. You will be a conquered people, but yet when God gives us a way out, he's shining the light in the dark, and we don't even want to follow the light. So then we'll reap what we Why do you think that, though? Why do you think that we're not listening? Why are we not following? Because we're rebellious, that's why. When when God raises up one from among you, that's mercy right there because he could destroy us right now. But he said, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to raise someone up from among you to save you. And when you don't listen to him, what you get is what you get. The minister been warning, Minister Farcon been warning us of this day. For how many years? In the 80s, the minister was warning us about about this. He was war warning us about police brutality. He was warning us about uh, the, the, the Europeans stealing our organs. He was warning, them, warning us about uh, our children missing. I mean, this ain't, this is not something that we haven't been warned about. We didn't want to listen. All, you, all people want to say is, oh, man, I ain't, I ain't with that Muslim stuff or I ain't with that, that black stuff. This has been right. teaching us for years. You need to support your own business, have your own community, have your own jobs. Look where we at right now. We black folks get mad. Look, Waffle House won't let us in, or or Starbucks won't let us in. If you had your own businesses, this wouldn't be no issue. You know what I mean? But we don't want to listen to the servants of God, and then when we don't listen, we get the backlash from a lot. That's what's happening right now. A lot say, "I'm gonna let the devil get to you because you ain't listening to my man." 
So now I'm going to let that devil whoop you because you ain't listening. So what we see right now is what we deserve because we fail to submit. We fail to submit to the truth that what Allah's servant has given us already. We were too busy making mockery of him. I remember the conversations that people were saying, oh, mister, oh, he crazy. He did see that. Oh, that man lost his mind. But look at us now. Now we, we're the minister. Everybody want to see what the minister got to say. You ain't want to hear what he had to say five years ago. You ain't want to hear what he had to say 15 years ago. That's our problem. The minute we submit and, and obey the servant of God, and submit to do the will of Allah and stand up and say, I ain't fearing this devil. He ain't create me. I'm superior to him. All this will end. You know, it reminds me of that. Um, it's a meme. I know my husband has it on his page. I think it's his back. But where there are the um, white men surrounded around this monopoly table and underneath holding the table are black men. Oh yeah, so. you know, and and it's basically just showing you that if they were to just get up, the game would be over. Yep, the game is over when we decide. Meaning, the game that they've been playing with us for over four hundred plus years is over. The minute we decide that we're not going to allow them to use our back. We're not going to allow or we're not going to let them stand on our back or our neck. The minute we rise up, it flips. One of the um, thoughts that also came to my mind um, when you were mentioning, I think it was uh, Keila who was uh, talking, I thought about this quote from Dr. Frances Cress Wealthy, and she Mentioned, she said that the the white man's penis and testicles genetically cannot annihilate black and other non-white males, but his gun can. So therefore, to ban the gun from the white man is to castrate him symbolically. It's to remove his defense mechanism for the ever-present threat of white genetic annihilation. And when you think about it as it relates to what you see right now, everything he does is backed by a gun. Mm. Without it, he already feels like he has absolutely no power. So he holds on to it as his weapon so that he can still feel as if he's relevant and so that he does not feel like he's being castrated. I thought that was really interesting, and I see exactly how it ties in. It makes so much sense, you know, to this conversation. Oh, yeah. Envy, jealousy, refuse, just just outright don't want to see you rise. And, you know, it's interesting. One, one thing that I think about when I see some of these sisters um, – and their response to not supporting black men or we don't need black men, they don't, they, don't, they don't do this for us and they don't do that. And I always think about how we expect to rise up as a people if the black man and black woman are not together. How do you feel like you really get freedom, justice, and equality by turning your back on one another or by thinking that the answer lies with 
you know, being romantically linked somewhere else, that that somehow is going, you know, how does how does that change the condition of your people or the things that are going on with your people? That's a negation of self. If you feel like you have to leave outside of your community to find love, or or you you trying to live a life that ain't you, that's you. That's you. That's self negation right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, even if you to me, if it, if you're a person who is black, and I know it, it, it's not that way, but it should be. Regardless of who you who you're with in a relationship, you should never lose your identity. But you know, we get in a relationship with other people, just like. When we, it's funny because I was watching a, a video, me and my husband watching a video, and this was an athlete. They were showing this athlete. A couple of athletes was coming into this dinner party or something. It looks like a dinner party, some type of event. And you, you saw black athletes coming in with, with Caucasian women. But here's the catch. The Caucasian woman was pulling them by the arm like they were little boys. It's like they had, they had submitted to these women in this relationship. She was clearly running this relationship, and you could see it. So it's like we get into these relationships with people who are not black and we lose ourselves. We start submitting to them. We lose our entire identity. But yet people can marry us and they don't lose their identity. It's just us trying to escape our own reality. It's no different than the the homosexual black man. As Francis Crest Welshian said, it's safer for a black man to be homosexual because now he's non-threatening. So the white man can look at him and say, oh, he's he he he's non-threatening. I ain't even gonna worry about killing him because he ain't no threat. Right. So for for some for so she broke that down in the, in the ISIS papers. Well, for some for some black men, they feel like I'm safe if I could just turn into a woman. You know, I could be mm-hmm. safe if I could just if I could just be not an alpha black male. You know, I'm I'm safe. And and this is her words, and this is by her research. Um, I, but I, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. As you see now. Everything that she indicated um, in that book has come to pass the feminization of the black man. It's all in there. She she breaks it down. So, but it's so it's so true. It's just we try yes, to get, escape the reality of being black that we would do anything to get out of being black to escape this hellhole of being murdered by this European. And I'm wondering, is that are we in doing so? We aid in our own demise. Ultimately, yes, we do. Ultimately, we do. Because as you mentioned earlier, um, in order for the black family to exist, that means that there has to be the black male and the black female together in unity. And when we decide that we want to go in a different direction, whether it's just simply just not liking yourself, hating your own black self and kind, and choosing just to ignore the things that's taking place in your community, choosing not to participate or choosing just to remain ignorant and uninformed, that's still a part of self-hatred. Or choosing to step outside and go completely, you know, on another path of who your mate is going to be. Eventually, you become desensitized and numb, as I heard you mention earlier, Keila, but desensitized and numb in a way where nothing that happens to you happens in the black community is of a concern of yours. So now when you see tanks rolling in and when you see brothers being arrested or when you see us being lynched, being murdered, 
you could care less because you live in your suburb or you live in your own little world. You pay your rent on time. You got money in the bank. So what is it to you if another man got shot? It wasn't you. It wasn't your family. It wasn't your son. Your children, you know, they have food to eat. In your neighborhood, none of these things go down. Just because you've moved outside of the so-called hood doesn't mean at all that you're about, you're about to escape the wrath of your enemy. Because at the end of the day, he does not care. He don't care about the money that's in your bank account. He doesn't care about the fame or the fortune that you have. He doesn't care about any of those things. Look at Michael Jackson. Look at our brother Michael Jackson, who was taken, really, from the very beginning when he started making money and they knew and saw a way that they can find themselves into his life and into his bank account, really. They used him and sucked him dry, and then the more he became woke and conscious and aware of what was taking place, then now they felt like they have something on their hand. Hmm. So we're going to have to show you, and we're going to use you as an example to anybody else in this entertainment industry or to anybody else out here who thinks that they're about to, you know, be better or be greater. So then it's Elvis versus Jackson. But again, when Michael Jackson, the more conscious he became, look at how his life began to change. It was a spiraling effect. Now he's being charged with molestation. Now he's being, all these different accusations, you know, are coming to fold. Now people are being paid to testify and say these things to destroy this man's character. Now, some may argue, well, you don't know what he did, or, you know, he probably did do these things. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you this much. Before I believe a 400-plus-year enemy of mine, damn it, I believe my brother first. Because the enemy has already shown me that he constantly lies. He constantly makes things up. He is not a truth teller. <clears throat> so he can't be trusted. His word has never been his bond. So what's and next? And when I look at... Mm-hmm, I'm sorry, go ahead. So what's next? I mean, like, what? what's next? What? Because we, we, we've... we've discussed and we agreed that, that, that black men are under siege and, and, and if the black man is under siege that means the black community is under siege. Um what what like what do we do? What should we be doing now to basically Hello. Sister said it right there. There's okay. nothing else for us to do except separate. Mm-hmm. Nothing, in my humble opinion. So, but what does separation look like? What, when you say separate, do you mean everybody go in their house, pack up all of their stuff, buy a, a, a ticket, and go somewhere else? Or are you saying to to first separate and come out of this world mentally? Separate because how else? How does that look? 
Well, you, you made a good point. Before we can jump, you know, we first have to start somewhere. And so when you begin to think or mentally prepare yourself for a day when you will no longer be able to be attached to, you will no longer be able to depend on your slave master's children. It requires that you first steal away. The messenger never just said just run. You know, he said still away. If you had a job and you wanted to eventually do something for yourself and for your own kind by building a business, he said still away, meaning that slowly begin to prepare yourself, begin to start putting some money in your savings account, begin to, you know, figure out all the necessary things that you have to do in order to become independent. So it starts mentally first and spiritually separating. And then eventually it will be physical. And it can look like many different things for many people. You know, something as simple, and I won't say simple, but it is simple. Right now we depend on our open enemy for almost everything. And when I say we, I'm going to speak for the masses of the people, which is about at 85% of the population of black folks, we depend on just about everything from the toilet paper that we cleanse ourselves with to the dishwashing liquid that we use to wash our dishes, from the cleaning supplies to the pillows to the shoes on our feet. Everything that's, that we use in our day-to-day activities from the food that we put in our refrigerator and eat to help sustain our physical life to the water that we drink. So where can we start? Okay. We know that we have to go to the supermarket so many times out of the week in order to feed our family. This is how much food it takes. I have five members of my family. I have two members of my family. And this is how much money I spend on groceries. We each eat this amount of food. And this is what we need to survive and stay healthy. Let me start by planting a garden. Let me start at first maybe just growing enough so that maybe I can have enough for my salad. And then, okay, growing enough that maybe I can have not only enough for making a salad, but I can actually have enough to make a full meal. And eventually, now we meet up with other brothers and sisters who are thinking, like-minded people who are thinking the same as we're thinking. And now we create a, a community of individuals where we're able to depend on one another. So you can grow the wheat and you can grow the tomatoes and the greens and you can grow this, that, and the other. So now we create a community where we can depend on one another. That's one way. Okay, defense. We have to get in shape. We have to know how to defend ourselves. We have to be prepared for somebody to come in as if, like, you know, like the enemy is already doing, we have to be prepared for a day and time where something may go down. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? Everybody in my household must be under the same mindset that when I yell this, this is what this means. Okay, I have to pull my money up out of this bank, and maybe I can take my money and invest in this land. And maybe I can start building over here. Maybe I need to connect with another group of like-minded people. And maybe we can buy up some of these states or some of these places because America is damn sure for sale. You got Detroit. You got Gary, Indiana. You got 
different parts of this country where there's plenty of land. So now let me calculate and see how much land I'm going to need. Maybe I can go and take back the block, which is a true project. And I can start buying up these properties. Oh, but by myself, I don't have any money. Or maybe I only have a couple of thousand dollars saved up. But if I get with Hakeem over here, her and her husband, they got a couple of thousand. I get with Akeem over here, you got a couple of thousand. Okay. Pool our resources and come together and say, listen, next year we're going to all, each family is going to save so many thousands of dollars. And we're going to put our money together and we're going to start buying up this land. Oh, you a builder over here. He's a carpenter. Okay, what do you do, brother? You grow food. Okay, now we have in our own community everything that we need. This is how we start to separate, meaning that we are no longer completely dependent on anybody outside of our community to do for us what we can do for ourselves. That's what separation looks like. And those are examples of how we can start separating I have another question. <laughs> because as you're talking about that, I start thinking, you know, we've done that before. Where we had everything. Ourselves, yeah. our own banks, our own church, our own land. We even had white folk who got declined from their bank coming to our black banks to get loans that they couldn't even get at their own bank. And so, Akila, you made a perfectly great um, observation and understanding. We have had that before, but what do we know about history? It repeats itself, right, Mm -hmm. if we did not learn the lesson. So let us talk now. Let us deal wisely, (laughs) as the Scripture says. Okay, when we did have our own, because we were independent, what was the key thing that caused us to go backwards? Well, uh, one of, one of the key things was uh, when we did have these these uh, societies, whenever, whenever the black man rises, the white man gets angry because we see his world falling, because when his world falls, our world, that means our world is rising. They want to go to war with us, like in uh, Wall Street. They bombed it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's countless amount of, of cities that, or, or societies that black people have created and white people get mad, mobs of white people come and attack them because they see black people doing good. So that's what happened to many of our society, many of our successful financial societies. So we need to know, learn that history, but we need to be ready for war when it happens. Right, and that's so true, and that's the, that's the thing. We have to be prepared. But what another thing that happened was integration. Yes, integration. Oh well, integration. And so when we started thinking that the grass was a little greener on the other side, then we started for one getting lazy and felt like we didn't need to keep our own grass maintained, and we can go over there and get something because the water was just a little bit tad bit sweeter. So then now you're not maintaining your own. And now look what happens to it. You got havoc. And this whole, even with the civil rights movement, hmm, that messed us up in many ways because we wanted so much to have what they had. But think about that time. See, right now we have Uber and Lyft, right? These are uh, services 
where people decide that, okay, I need a ride, you need a lift, and we're going to help each other, so to speak. But black people have been, have been doing this for, for how long now? The first Uber and the first Lyft was taking place back during the Civil Rights Movement, right? I won't say the first, because I'm sure even before that time. But when they denied us and told us that, hey, nigga, you can't ride, or if you ride, you're going to be at the back, and we decided, no, enough is enough. We're going to shut this thing down. We're going to boycott. We're not going to um, spend money with you all. We're going, to get, we're going to get to work the best way that we can. And so now this person had a bus or this person had a van, and that person picked this one up along the way. Some people rode on top of vehicles, hanging out vehicles, but everybody pools their resources. And then what happened? The buses started losing money, right? They realized that, shoot, black folks were keeping them afloat. So now, nigga, okay, you, you can get back on the bus. Okay. Why? Because it's hurting us financially. So since we already know this and that we know the angle they're going to come from, we can't allow their iced tea with a little sprinkle of sugar on top to entice us so much that we think that, oh, wow, this is better than what I got over here. We have to know that they're going to come and they're going to try to use every trick that they can to win us back. But then once they get us back, it'll be the same treatment as before. Oh, but wow. this time it'll be worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this time, right. Because they got to figure out a way. It's all about making sure, again, that they keep you to a place where it's easy for them to profit and difficult for us to break away or to, to, to yeah, get out of the chain. But we need to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom line, right, get out, get we out. We need to get out of that mentality, period. And that's why conversations like this are important. When we have conversations like this, even if we're not ready, at least we want to be able to spark something to get you to thinking, to get us all to thinking about what that next move is. And my thing is, even if you don't have your own plan, even if you may not fully understand, think about the truth that you may have heard or think about something that you may hear that might be somewhat beneficial. You can chew on it a little bit, but the thing about it now is time is running out. Noah been building, building an ark for a very long time. Everybody laughed at Noah. But real soon, people are going to be trying to get on that boat. Real soon, people are going to be trying to rock the boat. Come on, Noah, let's go. <laughs> we need to get out of here. So it is better that we prepare and that we plan than for us to waste time pondering or waste time um, being indecisive or waste time thinking that the grass on the other side is greener. It's okay to think about something, but, see, we have to be fast-moving, <laughs> quick-thinking. And right down to the modern day time, as taught by Fiona Boy Elijah Muhammad. 
meaning that we don't have time to move slow. We don't have time to move like a turtle. So now we got to fly. We can't walk. We got to sprint so that we can unify, so that we can have unity. Because, see, alone, there's not much that can be accomplished. It's when we actually recognize and understand the strength that comes in unity and joining forces with like-minded, and I keep saying like-minded, people. Because if a person is not, and I'm not saying that you have to think 100% like another person, but you have to have things in place that you agree on and you understand that you're working for a common goal. And once you decide that you're dedicated to that goal and that other person is dedicated to that goal, then and only then can we move forward and come up out of this condition. That's the one thing about other races of people. They work together outside of their differences. And I'm not saying some of us don't do that in our communities, but many of us don't. We will allow the fact that you disagree with me about this to keep you from joining on forces to something that's going to benefit you and your family. We don't agree on everything, but we do agree on something. And it's the one thing that we do agree on that allows us to be able to come together and allow each other's voices to be heard and not disrespect one another because I don't understand where you're coming from and the point that's being made. So as black people, when we decide that enough is enough, I'm tired of being sick and tired, when we get to that point and we decide that it's okay to love your brother and sister and come together, then we can move forward. And that's what I'm looking forward to, Akila, when you ask the question, so what? So why, now what? What are we going to do? That's what we're going to do. Thank you for joining us on Conversations with the Royal Empress. Join us next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Impress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Impress, please visit the website royalimpress.org. You can also follow the Royal Impress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Impress is a subsidiary of the Royal Impress organization. All rights reserved.